may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Kenley. It's so wonderful to be with you this morning. Good morning. We're so glad that you are here. It's great to see you. And uh, especially our visitors, we want you to know you're our special and honored guest. Thank you so much for being here. And those who are joining us online, we're very thankful to have you with us. And we want you to know we don't forget about you. We think about you all the time, and we're always here for you if you need anything. And that's true for those of you in, uh, here with us in person as well. We're so very glad to be together this morning, and uh, we are thankful for all those who teach our Bible classes and who attend and encourage and learn and study the Word. You know, at, at church every week is a buffet for spiritual growth, spiritual food that's provided. And so we always want to encourage our, uh, our members to invite people to help them hear the Word of God and learn about Jesus. We've been in this series on the book of Philippians and this letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison to encourage Christians who weren't in prison because he was so filled with joy while in prison, and they were worried about him. So he writes to encourage them, this church that he's very close to, that he loves very much. And he writes things mostly about joy, but about unity and about other things like that. And so last week, we, we got into chapter 2, and we looked at the unity in Christ that Jesus, that Paul, that Jesus, through Paul's writing, uh, is saying to the church about being unified. And then in the same sentence in verse 5, he's going to transition into the next uh, thing that he has to say, which is our passage today. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we have this amazing description of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus did for us. And if you really look at Philippians 2, 6 through 11, you see... That's John 3.16, maybe painted as a portrait or, or described with more words. It's such a beautiful passage in verse 6 through 11 that it, it really is an explanation of John 3.16. And so in verses 6 through 11, Paul transitions at the very end of 5, and we'll read that and you'll see where he transitions. Look at verse number 5. And this is what we ended on last week. Have this mind among yourselves... Remember, he's talking about unity, and he's saying, this is how I want you to be. This is the mindset you're supposed to have. Have this mindset of unity among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then what do you see after that? A comma and the word who, and that starts what we have as verse 6. So now he's going to transition in the same sentence as Paul often did, and he's going to show us Jesus, and he's going to show us how Jesus exemplifies this humility and this selflessness and this unity that Paul was saying, I want you to have, and this is how his church should be. So Paul was teaching on this, and then he transitions with that word who in verse number 6. Now let's look at verses 6 through 11 of Philippians 2. Who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the gospel message in that? If you want to if, if talk with somebody about the gospel message, you can go to John 3.16, the most widely known verse in the world, but you can also go to these passages and say, look at what Jesus did for us. This is the story of the good news of the gospel. Now, Paul tells us, did you notice that Paul uses the word form? And Paul tells us that Jesus, first of all, was what? In verse 6, in the form of God. Now, he's going to use two different Greek words for the word form in two places in this passage. And I want us to look at and think about what is unique and different uh, about the way Paul says this. Because it's really fascinating to see because it tells us further and deeper about who Jesus is, was, and what he did for us. So in verse 6, he uses a word, this word form, that means essential character, the nature of God. So Jesus possesses all the essential attributes of deity, okay? The NIV even says being in the form of God, being in the very nature of God. So this was Jesus before he, was, before he came to earth, while he was, he was in heaven with his Father. He was in the form, the very essential nature of, the essence of God in heaven. Okay? Everything's fine, good. Jesus is doing fine. He doesn't need to leave, has no, you know, no, no reason to leave except for it was time to further fulfill the will of God. See, he had it made in heaven, but the Bible tells us he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what does that mean? That means that he's sitting up there as God, as a part of the Godhead, Jesus the Son, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, to be seized and not let go of. Like, I ain't going anywhere. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not doing anything for anybody. I'm sitting here pretty. I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm not put, leaving, laying this aside and leaving this, what I've got. But that's not what he did. And what we see in verse 7 is that instead of doing that, because he didn't see equality with God, a thing to be held on to, to seize like he's going to lose it, he didn't try to do that. In verse 7 we see that he emptied himself. Or some translations say he made himself nothing. Do you see that? So what does that mean? That means he laid down his position in heaven and all that he had in heaven, he laid that aside to come to earth for us. Now someone asks, well, does that mean that he was no longer God, that he was no longer deity? No, that's not what he laid aside. He emptied himself or laid aside, uh, made himself nothing by laying aside his high position, his status as the king, as the king of the universe, and all of the status that came with that in heaven, all of the glory in heaven. He set it down so that he could come here for our earth. He had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe, but he gave them up to be born an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. Isn't that amazing that Jesus did that for you? Now look at verse 7. What did Jesus do when he emptied himself? Verse 7 tells us. 
he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being in, born in likeness of men. That form, that word there is the same form Paul just used, being in the form of God. He took on the essence, the attributes of a servant. And in that Greek word, it literally means slave. He took on the, the, the essence and the nature of a servant, a slave here on earth. He went from the highest you could possibly be all the way down to the lowest in society. And he did that for, that's what it means he emptied himself. He did that for us to be in the likeness of men. Now that word likeness of men, that likeness means that outward flesh, that outward appearance. Uh, he came in that likeness looking like us in the flesh, that likeness of men. And then Paul says uh, that in verse number 8, and being found in human form. Now that is the one that's a different word than the form that he's used earlier. This word means the outer appearance display. So he came displayed as a human. And the word likeness is that outer shell, the flesh that he was in. Does that make sense? Now let's look at some verses that also in other places help us understand and see what Jesus did for us and help us understand this. So in John chapter 1, verse number 14, we see that uh, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. On our next slide. And then we have Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then Colossians 2, 9. For in Him the whole fullness of God, of deity, dwells bodily. Do you hear the gospel message and see this emptying of Jesus to come be in the form of a servant in human form? And then Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, now this is kind of after the fact, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So those verses in other places help us picture and grasp and get a fuller sense of what Jesus did for us. So let's think, how did he save us? The rest of verse 8 tells us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not just death, not just some death, but even, Paul writes, death on a cross. So death itself wasn't even enough. It was to the point of, to the extent of, death on the cross. So he humbled himself. Uh, he, he became obedient. Now that doesn't mean that he was disobedient to God. What that means is that it was time for Jesus to go, and so he was obedient to that will of God for him to go to earth to sacrifice himself for us. That's what that means. And here we see Paul illustrating to us this, this, uh, this, the way Jesus emptied himself, and then he was, he's about to be magnified. So on the cross, though, there was no other form of, that, of death that was more humiliating, more horrible than be, being killed, being put to death 
on a cross. It was absolute humiliation by design. And that's what Jesus emptied himself to come and do. And so in this, in this graphic, I want to help us see a picture of this. So we see, and this is what Paul has walked us through. We see Jesus in heaven with God. And then he made himself nothing, emptying himself. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then we see the resurrection. It's the humiliation or the emptying of Christ and then the exaltation of Christ that God gives him. Okay, therefore God has highly exalted him. And that's what, that's what Paul wants us to understand that, look, I just talked to you about unity and what the church should be like. And now I want to show you that Jesus did this, that this is the mindset that you're supposed to have in the church. You see, there's no one else or nothing else that can give you salvation. Salvation is only in Jesus. No one else died for you. No one else can save you. Nothing else can forgive you. No one else can give you eternal life. All of these things that we pursue, all of the people that are influent, no one and nothing else can offer you salvation, forgiveness, and salvation. Your job can't save you. Your family can't save you. You know what? Your politics can't save you. They never have and they never will. Your politics can't forgive you. Your politicians didn't die for you. None of them can save you. None of them would do that for you. Money can't save you. Education can't save you. Success can't forgive you. Your talent and your good looks can't save you. None of that is sufficient to forgive you and give you eternal life. Only Christ is sufficient. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. The, the, the all-sufficiency of Christ and the all-importance of Him for your life. We spend our days pursuing all these things and worried about all these things. And they're not all bad, but we've got to keep things in perspective to realize there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. All of these things offer us a different identity, don't they? Athletics, the extracurricular things that we do, our job, our money, our, our, our possessions, all of these things offer us some form of identity. Our style, everything that we have is some kind of identity, but none of that identity lasts beyond this life. When we attend your funeral services, that's gone. It's over. The only thing that's going to matter at that point is where you stood with God. The only true identity that's last, that lasts beyond this life is in Christ. So you can hear that there's all kinds of identities you can take on, whether they're good or not, all kinds of different identities and forms of uh, self-identification. But guess what? Christ is the one that has to define that for us. And the only one that will fully satisfy you and fully complete you and give you total fulfillment is in Christ. That's just the, ba the bottom line. So we looked at what Jesus did for us. Now I want us to go back to verse number 5, where Paul reminded us, after he said all of this, I want us to look back and say, where did he start in this most recent section? In verse 5, and he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now remember, we looked at that and said, well, that's not singular, that's plural. Have this mind 
among yourselves. We're all supposed to have that kind of mindset. We're all supposed to have the mindset of unity and, and, be, and, and uh, humility and self-sacrifice, putting others before ourselves and, and, and get, putting the church uh, uh, first, not doing anything to damage or hurt the church, but to build up the Lord's church, to, to get along with one another, to work together, to do the will of God. And then he shows us how Jesus is the perfect example of how to do all of that. And if my mind would be like his mind, then you know what? Things would be all right. And I want, to, I want to make a point and encouragement when it comes to unity also. Did you, know, did you know your presence, your regular presence, your weekly presence, and not just presence, but engagement, and we're talking about this involvement uh, plan that we have that Matt's leading us in and, and getting folks involved. Did you know all of that contributes to unity in the church and helps build the church up? Did you know that? Did you know a regular attender is no longer considered uh, to be someone who's here every week. In, in, in church surveys and all of that, a regular attender is no longer uh, considered someone who is here every week. In fact, it's one who's here sporadically, one every four, five, six weeks. That is now, as self-identifying, that is now considered in people's minds, I regularly attend church. Something's changed, hasn't it? And, and so, so I want us to consider that when it comes to giving our lives to God, being devoted followers of Christ. See, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. So I want to ask you some questions to reflect on. How faithfully are you following Christ in your life? How faithfully are you striving to do His will, to grow in His Word? Are you telling others about Him? Are you inviting others to come study, to come worship? Is His mindset your mindset? That's a big one. Is His mindset your... I know I've got some growing to do. And I figure that we probably all have some growing to do in that area. Someone might ask, well, where's the practical self-help, encouraging, warm-feeling quotes and, and, and stories in this sermon and I don't have any issues with those kinds of things but but uh, you know instead of helping us just trying to reach our full potential and and actualize our full reality and all of that what I want us to do is be pointed to Christ and the essence of Christ the all-sufficiency of Christ because look when you get that when you get Christ right everything else follows when you get Christ right then you say I've got to get my priorities right I've got to get my, 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 my beliefs right in line with Christ. I've got to get my mindset right. I've got to get my relationships right. I've got to be making sure that my life is in order and following in the steps of my Savior. And so when we get Christ right, our attitude changes. When we get Christ right, we'll grow out of that negativity and bad attitude and that cussing and that griping and that complaining and that mean self-centered self. When we get Christ right, we'll do that and we'll live for the one who died for us. We'll live with true joy that is only found in Christ. And, and that in Christ we'll find true contentment and true fulfillment and true satisfaction. That remember we said nothing else can give you in this life. And when we have that, then we grow in the mindset of Christ. Do you see how that works? When we put Christ first in our lives, we see what it does to us. We grow spiritually, we further our work in his kingdom, 
and we're more vibrant, we're more fulfilled in our lives. You want satisfaction and fulfillment in your life? Get fulfillment in Christ and you'll find it like you've never had before. I want to encourage you this morning, if there's any way we can serve you, pray with you, study with you, answer any questions, love on you, care for you, we want you to know that this church, the Bullard Church of Christ, is here for you. Whether you're online or in person, whether it's this morning or tomorrow at 11 p.m., we want you to know that the Bullard Church of Christ is here for you. And if we can help you in any way this morning while we're here together, we invite you to come forward now as we together, together stand and sing.